When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to the new and improved Cup of Cubby Blue, proudly affiliated with the Fans First Sports Network, where you are hopefully signed up for a ton of great Cubs content. But if you're not, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. If you like the shows on Bleacher Bunch, then please leave us a five-star review and a rating because it helps everyone else find the shows. I'm Sarah Sanchez. I write about skyrocketing concession prices at Wrigley Field and more for Bleed Cubby Blue. And as always, I am joined by the one and only Danny Rocket. How's it going, Danny? It's going. It's uh, it's still summer here in Chicago in the middle of spring. However, it's fake summer because it's going to be winter again next week. And then we'll have another fake spring. And then finally one more winter and then another spring. And then finally it'll be summer again. So that's where we are now. Yeah, it's fake summer here in New York City, too. I am walking around in like 85 degree weather outside and then I come inside and I need a jacket and I'm going back and forth. Uh, it is, it's been wild times here with the weather. I, I have to say though, it was nice to be at Wrigley field for those 80 degree games this week against the Mariners. Yeah, it really was. It, it felt like real summer. And the nice thing is because it's still April and people aren't really excited for baseball season yet. And there's really not much, too much buzz around this team anyway, that you really have the real fans in there right now. And, and it feels, I, I don't know, just the vibes are good. I, I, you look around and you know, it's the fans that come in April and September <laughs> are way different than the tourist fans that come once school gets out. And then, uh, so I don't know the, the vibes were great and it, it was a fun week. Uh, well, I only went to two of these games only two, but, uh, well, I'm one and one on the on the home, not on the homestand, but on uh, this series. Um, yeah, that comeback win. I know oh. we're going to talk about it, but like we're going there. Yeah, I haven't felt that way in Wrigley for a while. And it was such like a fake summer night that um, just the, it felt great. You know, I haven't felt that way in that ballpark in a long time. And I, I, I'm just trying to carry that forward as the team goes to Los Angeles. I, I agree. The vibes, particularly for that comeback win, were super incredible at Wrigley Field. We're going to get to that in a minute. Before we do, let's recap where this team is. The Cubs are 6-5. and five. They have a 545 winning percentage. They extended Ian Happ, which we are also going to talk about on the show. And it was a real extension, not like this, we're going to add one year off your arbitration type of thing deal that they did with Nico Horner. So congratulations, Jed. I, I am impressed that you finally got an extension done. Uh, the Cubs are currently in third place in the division, but they're only like a game and a half out of first. And honestly, they looked really good in two games against a Mariners team that's record isn't as good as they are. They've struggled to a five and eight record so far on the season. They were a playoff team last year. They did add this off season to make themselves even better. Danny, before we get to the individual game by game recaps, what is your view of the team from the left field bleachers? Well, to be honest, I wasn't sitting in the left field bleachers last couple of days. Cause I got those free tickets from the Cubs to go for hit to take or, uh, Hit for ticks? Is that what I think it's called? Something like that. Hit the buzz. Play for now. opening day. Yeah, something. Like, they change the name every year. It's like, how are you going to get a marketing thing going if you change the damn name every year? <laughs> anyway, uh, so I was in 100 level seats, uh, and so th that's where my view. Me too. Yeah, so uh, that's where my view was was from for for the comeback. Um, 
I mean, what are things looking like? I don't know. It's it's hard to tell. Like, it's it's early in the season, so I appreciate that we're still in it, not like some teams that are like the Nationals who are just like already out of it in the second week of the season. Or, you know, uh, Mariners seemed like they were a pretty good, pretty good team. I, you know, right now I'm feeling like we have a professional baseball team full of prove it guys who all have lots of experience in the major league. So collectively they know what they're doing out there and we do. And Chicago doesn't really know who they are yet and they probably won't be around too long. Some of them. And so we're just kind of like going through the motions and rooting for laundry. And that's just kind of what it feels like in there. Um, It's funny. You brought up in your, in your uh, opening that you write about uh, inflated concession prices because those beer bats at $30 a bat. Um, I went with my friend, Alan. He, we, he took a beer bat home. He found it on the ground. We did not buy one because we both know it's a bad deal. And he took a pint glass, which was maybe a 20 ounce, maybe 22 ounces tops. And he poured it, you know, just a, like a pint glass and just poured the contents of water into the beer bat and showed that there was only a couple inches fat, the, the fat inches on the end that were empty. So like maybe you're missing what four ounces there. So it's basically two beers for, for um, uh, two beers for 30 bucks. Dude, Terrible that- deal. Oh, keep Novelty. going, keep going on the beer bats. Well, yeah, <laughs> no, but not only that, I, I see all these people, everybody loves it. You know, it's like having to go to Disney World to get in the mouse ears now. You know, it's like the same thing. So I see all these people walking around with their beer bats with nine inches of head on the bat. So they're getting one beer for 30 bucks because like it's the fat end of the bat that's all full of foam. And so I've been fascinated with that. And I saw Crane Kenny after the game. (laughs) Yeah, did you I ask know. him about the no, beer I did. bats? I, I did. Well, I was I was a, a few uh, beer bats in at that point, if you will. <laughs> but I, I go up to him like, Crade, Crade, everybody loves the beer bats. Who came up with that idea? And he goes, uh, someone in marketing. <laughs> I go, well, give them a raise. Walked away. So You, you can know, afford it at $30 beer bats. Yeah, I mean, the tickets are free right now. So you, that's why you get all the the real fans in there because like if you if you're not going for a hundred bucks in the summer you know those the people that are sitting down in the good seats right now they're in the nosebleeds when the cubs are good and then the back row behind a pole you know, with me and when the cubs are, are good then we're in the bad seats but right now uh we could all be in the good seats and we're acting you know, like we're in the bad seats, but in the good seats. So the beer bats are flowing and, you know, they only, they pay nothing to get in. So why not buy $60 worth of beer bat, you know? I mean, you're not wrong about the tickets. The tickets are very, very cheap right now. I also had some of the like comped tickets earlier this week and I went with Ken Schultz, friend of the show. Uh, We sat in, I think 129 that night and it was great. Uh, That was for the walk-off victory, which look, we're, we're going to get into each of these games before after we rant about concessions a bit, I promise. But a walk-off followed by a comeback victory, I mean, you can't ask for much more on a homestand. I guess you could ask for a sweep. But, like, really, you're just getting greedy at that point. Uh, the second night, I, I YOLO'd it. I was a little bit like, am I going to go tonight? I've got work to do. I'm supposed to fly to New York City tomorrow. I should pack. And then I d- looked at the tickets on – I think I did SeatGeek for this one. Maybe StubHub. I don't remember. And there was, like, a – $16 after fees ticket in 131. And I was like, wait, so you're t- like after fees, this ticket yeah. is $16 and change. And I was just like, all right, I am being invited by the gods to go to this game. And I am very glad that I did. We'll talk about why in a second. So I am not complaining about the overall experience price, but it is notable that the Cubs sent out like a memo on how they were slashing ticket prices this year and just smooth raise concession prices, like 25% to 30% across the board introduced a beer bat where you're getting like 20 ounces of beer for $30 and like are raking in money y'all. So like no, no worries about the Cubs bottom line uh, with ticket prices where they're at. Let's talk about these games. Game one, Drew Smiley got the start. He looked really good. I, I regretted dropping him and benching him in a bunch of fantasy leagues, but who could blame me after that first start? Keegan Thompson, however, got the win. Smiley threw five innings of two hit baseball 
only giving up one earned run, striking out seven, went toe-to-toe with Luis Castillo, who I think is one of the better pitchers in the major leagues right now. And the Cubs walked this one off with Nick Madrigal swiping third base uh, as the ghost runner in the 10th inning before Nico Horner singled him in. And before I complain a little bit about the sequence of events here in the 10th inning, let me just say there is no one in the universe that I want up more than Nico Horner when all you need is a single for one run to win a baseball game. No one, period, the end. The dude just gets hits. Yeah, no, he was the perfect guy to have up there. And uh, it, the the Cubs' contact profile is really good. They struck out and sold out on every pitch for years and years and years during the core years. And they struck out a ton. And now they they barely strike out, out at all. They're towards the bottom of the league as far as uh, – or I should say top of the league and not striking out. So, um, yeah, that – and he is the exact right guy. But, you know, I, I do take issue with uh, – you saying Nick Madrigal swiping third base because a, you don't need to swipe third base because a base hit likely scores you. Um, so you don't need to be over there. Granted there's sack flies and other things you could do. It makes sense to be on third as opposed to second, but he also did not steal third base in my estimation. He, he left too early and should have been caught stealing or picked off, but instead he managed to get over there. Cause I think that, play fails about half of the time that it it's going to fail at least half the time so what you're saying was it was not nick madrigal's preternatural natural running ability that got him to third base but rather just the mariners not being very on top of things correct i'm just saying i don't give nick madrigal any credit there at all it was that's fair shouldn't have been running anyway like it's a dumb move like you already shut them down the likelihood that you'll score is still high from second base. It's a little, it's considerably higher from third. I get that, especially with like one out or less, but you know, come on, well, bro. It's like here, you already held them. Keegan was ice, had ice in his veins after stinking and like you held them and you well, just need to score the run. Not and two. here's why Nick Madrigal was a third. Let's be real is because what happened next is the inexcusable part where Nelson Velasquez comes into this game as a defensive replacement and actual right fielder. Uh, and he is about to get an at-bat in the 10th inning with Nick Madrigal on second. And I, I see no danger in letting Nick Ma- and letting Nelson Velasquez take this at-bat because he's a pretty good hitter. He's been on a hot streak. That's why you called him up from Iowa. And instead, David Ross sits Nelson Velasquez down for Tucker Barnhart because, as it was mansplained to me on Twitter, Tucker Barnhart is the quote-unquote best bunter on the team. And, dude, all I'm, all I'm going to say about this is I know what the mechanics of the Ghost Runner on, on second and the tenth are. And also, I want to see Nelson Velasquez take a real shot. And then I want to see Nico Horner take a real shot. And I don't want to see Nick Madrigal risking getting thrown out. Period. The end. I don't know why you're having Nick Madrigal swipe third so Tucker Barnhart can bunt nonsense in the 10th inning, just let Nelson and Nico try to get hits. Yeah. No, the whole thing with the right field and the Nelson Velasquez, and I'll throw Miles Mastroboni in the pit here and stir it all around because the, first of all, do do you remember when Miles Mastroboni was the defensive replacement? But what are we doing? And then that didn't make sense because he doesn't really play outfield. It's like, okay. So they threw him out there. And then you defensive replacement him for Nelson Velasquez, who's actually known more as a hitter, even though he does actually play the outfield. And then you pinch hit for the hitter with a guy who can't hit. (laughs) (laughs) That's the weirdest sequence. So he comes in and strikes out. And by the way, um, you know, he, Tucker Barnhart, like, what is this sequence of uh well Jan Gomes was on was the was the original ghost runner. So right. That's so they Madrigal pinch ran for so Jan Gomes, needed- which is why Nick Madrigal's in there try risking getting thrown out. <laughs> so I'm thinking that that's why they bring in Barnhart is because now you need a catcher. But except you can bring Barnhart in at any point in anytime, the order. Yeah. You don't yeah. need to bring him in for Nelson Velasquez, who is the actual right fielder and can hit. Like I'm just like, why are you taking guy who might be one of the best hitters on the team and pinch hitting with dude who might be one of the worst hitters on the team. Like the process there makes no sense to me, even though it kind of worked out. Sometimes it feels like there's so much math involved and that so many decisions 
have been kind of pre-decided in a boardroom from a computer, from spreadsheets, from hit charts and all the things that they look at that they forget logic. You know, that it's just like, well, it profiles this way and there's the contact rate and the best bunner and, 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 as opposed to being like, wait, that guy can't hit and that guy can hit. <laughs> no, put out the guy who can hit. Like, so all these fans are looking at this and like, listen, what this doesn't make any sense. And it didn't because he struck out. So, uh, you know, you now you're in danger. Uh, not that Nico strikes out a lot, but uh, you know, thank God he's singled because there are other ways to get that runner home from third. The whole thing didn't make sense. And then it didn't make sense after, well, we'll get to it, but Nelson Velasquez again well, does not get the start after going three for four with a grand slam. Freaking it, the night is his. And then they're like, <laughs> sit rookie on the bench, ride the pine. You stink. Miles Mastroboni, you're out there to get a single. And that's all he did. He got a single Cubs lose. You know, it's just made we, no sense. We are going to need David Ross to like, to, I don't know, man. Like you're, you're going to need to be a little bit more adventurous. I just can't believe there's any spreadsheet anywhere. I, I do a lot of sabermetric work. I, I am in baseball stats all the time. I can't believe there's any spreadsheet anywhere that tells you that you should pinch hit Tucker Barnhart for Nelson Velasquez with a runner on second and no outs. Like, I don't think that that's a thing that Sabermetrics wants anybody to do. And I think that this is a chance, this is a time where David Ross went kind of galaxy brain. And I had a tweet that I was going to send, but didn't send that was just going to be like, love someone as much as David Ross loves giving opportunities to backup catchers. Cause frankly, man, like I just don't even know any other explanation for what David Ross was doing. They're like, I'm going to show these kids today how you bust with a runner on second. Like, I don't even care, man. Like let Nelson Velasquez swing away, hit a double and end this thing. Speaking of Nelson Velasquez, Danny already talked about it a little bit, but I want to talk about game two because this is one of the most fun Cubs experiences that I have had. Danny said it too. Like I have not felt this way in years at Wrigley Field. There were some fun moments last season, most of them courtesy of Ian Happ or Wilson Contreras. And all of them felt tinged with sadness because it was like, Oh, this might be the last time I watch Wilson walk it off. It might be the last time Wilson gets to hug his brother in a Cubs uniform. It might be the last time Ian Happ makes a great catch and left. Like every time those dudes did something, it felt like you were saying goodbye to them as much as you were cheering for them. And it's felt that way for two solid seasons now, ever since the Black Friday trade deadline, ever since that combo no hitter in LA, when the last time that you felt like you were cheering for the actual Cubs instead of like, oh God, it's a teardown and it's horrible and everything is bad. That moment in game two, and, and I will, full disclosure, like I'm sitting there in the 100s, the Cubs are down 7 nothing because Hayden Wesneski does not have it to start the season. I don't know if he's tipping pitches. I don't know if he's lost control. He needs to find whatever he was doing at the end of last season and in the spring and get that back. But it's 7 nothing. The sunset is gorgeous. And I'm just thinking, well, at least the sunset is better than the baseball. And I decided to go visit my Rose guy again because whatever, it's like, been an hour and a half and they played two innings because the Mariners batted around. And so the Cubs start getting this little mini rally going like as I'm as I'm over in the left field side from the right field side. And so I just walk down and there's a million spare seats in the low 200. So I just kind of grab one of those. And the next thing you know, the bases are loaded and here comes Nelson Velasquez. Danny, when Nelson Velasquez hit that go ahead grand slam, the vibes in Wrigley Field felt like 2015 again. I believed in this team and I believed in the players who were there that were going to be there next year and the year after that. And I was happy and excited and jumping and my heart was joyous for Cubs baseball in a way that I have not felt in literal years. The vibes were so good. Yeah. We jump hugged me and my friends that were, that was there with Irish Allen and uh, I love Irish Allen. Yeah. And uh, John Pankis, David was down there and then we were we were just so excited. We I couldn't be more thrilled with how that went because th this team hasn't done a lot of dramatic things um, over the years. Like you didn't even really mention the Nico walk off and that being like, cut, well, we did. We complained about it, but we complained but, uh, about the process that got the to process. Nico. Yeah, love you, but, Nico. <laughs> but like to go from that and then the vibes are all good. Nico's feeling good. It's his first walk off. And then the next day, Nelly V, Nelly Flo comes up and, you know, in that big moment, and that was his first at bat since being uh, called up. And so the, so it's first at bat of the year to do something like that. Very Christopher Morell like 
in kind of how they, very Wilson Contreras like like there are guys that have uh, the personality for the dramatic and to do big things in big moments. You know, how many times did we saw Chris Bryant literally crap his pants with runners on in a big moment? Like, was he good for a three run homer when you were already down 11 to two in the eighth inning? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Now it's 11 to five. Yay. We're going to lose by less or or win by more. I You know, it just there's these late and close clutch moments that he knows that if he hits his grand slam, the Cubs are now up by one and we are back in the lead. We're in the game. This is a brand new ball game kind of thing. Demoralize the Mariners. Like it, and, and he could do it because it moment wasn't too big for him. It was a statement moment. And honestly, I don't want to get too far ahead of myself here. Cause I still think that this is a sub 500 team at the end of the day. We'll see what they're made of when they head out to LA this week. Cause I think this road trip is going to be a real test. We all know the Cubs don't play well on those West Coast road trips. They definitely don't play well on those West Coast road trips early. The Dodgers are on paper a much better team than the Chicago Cubs. So, like, I don't want to get too far ahead of myself. But if we get to September and this team is in contention and, like, there is an actual wild card race going on and we're playing some meaningful baseball at the friendly confines in September, this win, this comeback, being down 7 nothing, chipping away, chipping away, and then that grand slam – in my opinion, was the moment that I believed something could happen. That was an outstanding moment. And they didn't let it get away from them, right? Like they kept tacking on the Mariners. I think it was uh, Kellenic hit another home run. Kellenic hit three home runs in the series. And anybody who left that dude for dead after he had a, a rough rookie campaign, woe unto you, because one of those balls landed <laughs> in the upper deck of center field, which I don't remember the last time I saw a ball land in the upper deck of center field. That's a really, really far home run to hit. I think I saw 482 feet, and I think that might be short. Like, I, Kellenic is mashing baseballs yeah. right now. But um, anyway, that comeback wind, victory was incredible. The wind was blown out, too. So I, I, I saw think that. that. Yeah, I think at some point, uh, I mean, the Cubs haven't been hitting a lot of home runs at all. Belly finally got into one yesterday, but like they they're towards the bottom of the league as far as the power goes, which is a shame because the wind's blowing out early, but we don't really <laughs> have the guys. Um, well, we did, but we sent them for Master Boney, so don't worry about it. Like, <laughs> then, then they're yeah. gonna send them down again when Saya comes back this weekend, hopefully. Yeah, let's talk about that, by the way. So game three, the Cubs lost five to two. It's fine to take two or three from the Mariners at home. Marcus Stroman had a great game, but Logan Gilbert was just better. Stroman threw six innings of five hit, two run baseball, struck out six. Uh, Logan Gilbert threw six and two thirds innings of four hit, one run baseball and struck out seven. I mean, sometimes the other guy is going to be a little bit better than your guy, and that's totally fine. Like, what are you going to do? However, I don't know what the rules are with lineups and letting guys know when they have days off and blah, 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 blah. There was a moment in Thursday's game where Nelson Velasquez, straight from Iowa, has an OPS of 3,500. And you're like, nah, going to see what Miles Mastroboni can do in right field today, the next day. That is unbelievably stupid. And I don't even understand why anyone would do it unless they're looking for an excuse to send Nelson Velasquez back already because they're like, oh, when Saya comes back, we don't have the roster spot. Send Miles Mastroboni to Iowa. Uh, yeah. Why is Miles Mastroboni here? Like, I don't understand. When I saw the note that Nelson Velasquez was called up and Javier Assad was sent to Iowa, I was like, you misspelled Mastroboni. I yeah. don't understand why Javier Assad would go first. <laughs> Well, probably to stretch him out, but I don't know what that's all about because now when you see that start from Smiley, and it, it's possibly Wisniewski. Like, I don't know how many times they're going to let him go out there. I mean, he's already two bad ones. Maybe a third bad one means that Assad gets switched out or, you know, possibly possible. even Adrian Sampson. You know, Keegan would, Thompson's I, looked okay. He, yeah, but you kind of need some of these dudes out of, of Penn. We were talking about it last night on the Sunranto shows, how many long – long men do you really need on a team and it depends on how your starting pitching is so if you're getting six seven innings you don't need a lot of log men but if you're getting four or five innings um out of the back end you're gonna need more so it's like but yeah so you're playing a pitcher short and that seems we'll we'll see how that plays out on the west coast the i'm not really worried about the dodgers i, I mean i'm not I'm not worried about the dodgers because they're not playing well right now and they've been they're off to a little slow start. They've lost five games of the Diamondbacks already. The Dodgers have. The Diamondbacks, man. Like, I, I definitely did call that the Diamondbacks were a more interesting team 
than people thought they were just with the young talent that they have. But I did not think they would be on top of the NL West this early. It's, <laughs> that, it's, was, that was not what I was thinking. It's more about the process of them actually going to Los Angeles and that and that just being a tough stadium to play in. It's loud. The fans are mean. They're into it. It's, you know, and the, the time difference, right? Time like you're going two hours yeah. backwards. You're playing games that start at 10 o'clock at night. Like that's a really difficult thing and, to do, in my opinion. We need to take a quick break for our sponsors. However, on the flip side, we are going to talk about Ian Happ's extension. Thank you, Jed Hoyer, for finally getting an extension done. Now do more of them. Uh, we are also going to preview these games against the Dodgers and give you an update on who is doing a better job of fixing broken swings, the Cubs with Cody Bellinger, the Dodgers with Jason Hayward. We'll talk about it on the flip side, but first a quick break. All right, we're back. Before we get into these Dodgers games, uh, Ian Happ extension, three years, 61 millions. I, I admit I was surprised that there were extension talks in the season at all. That is not something that the Cubs have wanted to do very frequently, but they did it, and I'm glad about it. And and also, just hat tip to friend of the show, Michael Cerami, who is the foremost Ian Happ fan on the planet. Uh, we talked about, we've talked about this years ago. Michael guested on this show maybe two or three years ago, and he was just raving about Ian Happ as a young switch hitter who wasn't getting his due like he should. Uh, Michael Cerami broke that extension deal, a source, confirmed it. And I, I can guess as to who Michael Cerami might be talking to, but kudos to you, my friend, because that was well-deserved and I was happy to see Michael and Ian Happ get their moment in the sun. Yeah, it's it's great. And I'm also happy for Ian Happ's BFF, Bleacher Jeff, who will, has now three more years of, uh, you know, get, giving the high side and getting shout outs when Ian's mic'd up. So uh, very cool. Um, yeah. You know, Ian Happ's a solid player. It's, um, you know, he's good out there in left field. It does give you some flexibility with the switch hit thing. The thing that I really like about Ian is that he plays really well at Wrigley and he plays really well in the NL Central. I looked up um, what he did in a few other ballparks around the Central. And with the exception of uh, Miller Park, he plays really well in Cincinnati, famously in Cincinnati, OPS well over a thousand. or I think it's over eleven hundred there. And then, oh, yeah, but, he's like Barry Bonds at Great American Ballpark. Yeah, he's Barry Bonds at Great American Ballpark, and he's a super solid player at all the other ballparks except for Miller Park in the Central. So, um, you know, he's been around a while. I feel like, I feel like he's just like a solid player. You know, like he is a solid dude. He's not a superstar. He's not gonna be a superstar. Maybe he makes an All Star team. At, at you know. Wait, did he last year? He did last he did. year, he but did, he could yeah. make he could make another one. He could he won a Gold Glove last year. He could do that again. I mean, one of the things that Bleacher Tony and I were talking about uh, when I was in the bleachers last week was that Ian Happ has gotten really good at playing left field at Wrigley, and and the outfield at Wrigley is not an easy place to play. You can't run into the wall and make those leap, leaping catches like you make at most of the other ballparks. You will break yourself if you do that. That wall is brick and ivy and. You can't play it that way. You got to know how to play caroms. You got to know how to play weird angles. There's a reason that Wrigley Field is a defensive graded park for everything except triples because the ball bounces around that outfield like, whoa, usually in the right field corner, not the left field corner, but still. It's a hard place to play, and Ian Happ does it really well. And so I'm glad we'll get to see three more years of him out there. I don't think it blocks any of the Cubs' great talent. Like if any of those corner outfielders prove that they're ready, even with Happ and Saya. It's constant left and right field. They will get a shot. They'll get a shot as a DH or they'll come up as a first baseman or whatever. Like, I think that there's all sorts of ways that those guys can be helpful. Maybe they get traded. I, that's fine, too. But I am glad to see the Cubs invest in a guy that they have told us for years they believe in. Yeah, not only do they believe in him, but I think they see him as like a, a kind of leader for the younger guys because he's been around and he's such a thoughtful person that it seems that he might be the right person to like lead the new Zen kind of uh, way through the, the, the path, you know, he's got the path, the enlightened path to victory. Um, my, the pushback is, and Michael Cotton had a good point about this last night was, uh, you know, he doesn't have a great arm. They, they will definitely always run on his arm and the, the, the comparison there, of course, is Kyle Schwarber, who they did not run on his arm because he will throw you out. And so uh, and he doesn't have the power of a Schwarber. And, you know, so we kind of got into talking about Schwarber and be like, well, damn, I wish it was Schwarber. They 
instead of, you know what I mean? Like, wouldn't you rather have Kyle Schwarber in left field that he'd have? And that's when that, when that became the choice, well, then you're like, oh, they screwed up. So now let's just get Ian Happ. Also a left fielder. That's where you bury the bat that, that you don't need to be great in the field. You know, that that's where you bury that guy. And um, so now he's just penciled in every day and that gives you doesn't there's less roster flexibility with that when you just can't like because they would throw Wilson Contreras out in left just to keep the bat they threw Wilson Contreras out in right because Wilson Contreras was such an unbelievable athlete that you could take your backup catcher and put him in right field and he was not going to embarrass you and I just We'll never forgive Judd Hoyer for that one. But, you know, I mean, I agree with you. It, it's a little bit less roster flexibility. It tells you a lot about how they're feeling, in my opinion, about this, the whether or not these prospects are surefire or not. That doesn't mean they're not going to pan out. But I think that last year at this time, there was less of an imperative to get an Ian Happ extension done because you sort of envisioned Seiya Suzuki as your right fielder. And then you had a future in left field that could be an Ian Happ extension, but could also be Brennan Davis. It could also be Owen Casey. It could also be Nelson Velasquez. It could also be like there were just a handful of guys who you felt like could step up there and take that corner outfield spot. And for whatever reason, the Cubs have decided they would rather bet on the high upside and low floor or high upside and high floor of Ian Happ in left field for the next three years Plus, all of the one of those rookies may be coming up as a DH or a fourth outfielder or a replacement or something like that, rather than counting on the health of Brennan Davis, counting on Owen Casey to take a step forward, counting on Nelson Velasquez to get the strikeouts under control and be able to do this thing. I think there's still playing time for those dudes. Say it doesn't seem like he's going to be a guy who's going to play 162 games most years, and that's okay. He doesn't have to. Um, somebody else can play some of those games, but. I do like that they have doubled down on Ian Happ as their guy out there for a while now. I don't think it precludes other guys coming up. Yeah. And I guess Rizzo helped him make the decision or he talked to Rizzo. I don't know if he helped him make the decision or whatever, but um, I don't know what to read into that, but I do find it interesting that, uh, you know, Rizzo or that they're still in touch and still in touch about this specifically. Um, well, before you move on from that, the thing that I find most interesting about that is Rizzo is also the dude that told Aaron Judge not to take the original Yankees offer to bet on himself and then take whatever the Yankees offered him after he was a free agent. And frankly, I feel like Rizzo, because of his experience with the Cubs signing a team-friendly deal and then not getting the deal he wanted at the back end and going to the Yankees or whatever, Rizzo has kind of become the league's like free agent contract whisperer. He's the guy who the other players can go to, to be like, Hey, what's it really like on the other side? How's it going to go for me? And, and he's a good guy. So he just helps them. Yeah. Um, yeah. Cause he got screwed and it's just kind of <laughs> like when, when I lost a bunch of money in the stock market in 2008, I was just like, well, I better learn about this stock market thing before I screw this up again, <laughs> you know? And I think that might be kind of it, you know, it's that, Anthony Rizzo saw what they did to him and he thought they were going to be kind to him on the back end and they weren't, it was just business. And they, you know, sorry, Anthony, we thanks for signing that long extension thinking that we were going to take care of you in the end, but nah, nah, we ain't doing that. Sorry. You know? And so he's looking at this and he's like, okay, take your 60 million now that you're going to get. And then uh, you'll still be 31 that's when I got it still a high end deal with the Yankees. So like, it still, ma it makes sense to be that you're still young enough. Don't do five years for less. Don't do five years. Don't take the years over the money, take the money, you know, like whatever he's telling them, uh, hap listen. And so 31 is, does not feel too old. It, although that's the way they look at it sometimes. And for the Cubs, it seems like a pretty good deal. If, I mean, it, does feel like a pretty good deal. 31 doesn't seem that old to be able to get out there and still get your next contract. He's playing for yet another contract. So if these next three years are good, and then I also see people talking about, oh, well, it's not that much money that if he does well and the Cubs aren't good, you can trade that contract because it's not like some long contract that brings you into the future. But, um, Ian Happ seems really happy. And I think this decision was more about the money than it was about staying in Chicago. 
and being BFFs with Michael Cerami and Bleacher Jeff for another three years before he moves on to the Reds, where when the Reds are ready to pop with their young prospects, he'll go over there and make the Hall of Fame hitting more home runs than Barry Bonds. <laughs> hey, if Ian's, if Ian's happy, I'm happy. Um, let's talk about the next challenge for Ian Happ and the Chicago Cubs. They are headed to Los Angeles to face the Dodgers. That game, that series will kick off on Friday night, late games, people. So drink your coffee in the afternoon so you can stay up or take a nap or whatever you need to do to stay up to watch these games. Uh, probable pitcher matchups for this series, three-game set, in Los Angeles, uh, Justin Steele will face off against Noah Syndergaard. It is not the Noah Syndergaard you remember. He throws closer to 93, not 100, and, and it'll be interesting to see what the Cubs do with that. Jamison Tyon will face someone named, I think it's Michael Grove. This is not a pitcher that I've heard a lot about. I believe this is somebody that the Dodgers just kind of like called up to, to get some spot starts while they've been dealing with some injuries. And then Drew Smiley uh, will face off against their ace, Julio Urias. Yeah. Yeah, Michael Grove's the only one that I had never heard of before. And, yeah, he's pretty new. Only nine games in the bigs. Got a 663 earned run average in only 36 innings. Um, so, yeah, he's a, he's a minor league dude. But he is 26 years old, so he's been around, I guess, a little bit. Um, but, yeah, I don't know if he's considered a prospect or what's going on with him. Looks like he was drafted in the second round, overall 68. So that's pretty high draft pick back in 2018 and you know what the Dodgers do with pitchers. They just churn out these great ones all the time, all the time, man. Yeah. I mean, it's like the way the Cubs turn out number five starters, the Dodgers turn out aces. They're like, it, Hey, check out, check out our new ace who you've never heard of before. Yeah. So yeah, he's the only one I had, I had not heard of. I've, obviously everybody's heard of Syndergaard. Um, but yeah, after so many injuries kind of took, uh, Oh, go ahead. Yeah. No, just so many injuries, like kind of, wrecked his career and the tra tra trajectory of uh Syndergaard's career was derailed at some point um yeah it looks like Michael Grove um is a 26 year old who is the 22nd best prospect in the Dodgers organization uh 40 plus future value which just means that he could be like a spot start guy in the majors looks like his best pitch is a slider followed by his curveball. So look for a lot of breaking and off-speed stuff. Yeah. So we'll see if our young guys can hit the off-speed or who knows, maybe we'll have a bunch of, maybe we'll have a bunch of old catchers in there. <laughs> so to make Tucker Barnhart needs yeah. to bunt. That's the future of the Chicago Cubs. Tucker Barnhart yeah. bunting, exactly how I drew it up. Uh, guys who should not be bunting under any circumstances because these dudes are super hot. And as a reminder for hot bats, uh, this is basically like a two-ish week sample, and to be on this list, you have to have a WRC plus a wins run, uh, a weighted runs created plus over 110, which means you're at least 10% better than the league average at driving in runs. Dansby Swanson still leading this list. He cooled off a little bit, but he's hitting 400, 467, 450 with a WRC plus of 154. Yes, people, that is slightly worse than Dansby was doing to start the season. Ian Happ, who just signed his big contract, uh, 282, 429, 463 with a WRC plus of 144. Patrick Wisdom staying hot. He's slashing 235, 333, 559 with a WRC plus of 133. And welcome to this list for the first time this season, but I highly doubt it'll be the last. Nico Horner slashing 347, 373, 408 with a WRC plus of 112. That 347 is just hot, man. Like, I don't remember the last time the Cubs had anyone with a batting average that high over 300. Yeah, and it's and it's not totally empty. Like he does slug it a little bit. You know, I know it's mostly singles, and um, but the, this the OBP skills are have been really great. Um, yeah, I mean, to, it's it, it. Listen, I I really do think when I look at the Cubs overall that you're seeing a, a pretty professional group of of hitters like these they know how to approach an at bat like you know they say oh that's a professional at bat like that the the meaning of that is something that the cubs can currently do like when you see like a rookie going up there and looking totally overmatched we haven't seen too much of that this year they're just not here right now they're all in the minors doing great by the way like christopher morale slugging it nelly v's slugging it you got mervis down there slugging like all and now maybe they come up and they then they look foolish in those at bats against like a crafty cinder guard or something, you know, it could be, but um, 
yeah, this professional team, Dansby, it's just been great. It's too bad his leg hurts. Hopefully, like, he's back this weekend. I don't know how ginger they'll be with that. Missed yesterday. But, um, yeah, through I'm- and through, the offense feels like they can, they can always kind of do it. Except for when you do, like, the Mastroboni lineups. And then I don't get it. Then Except for I- when the back four are, like, Tucker Barnhart, Miles Mastroboni. <laughs> Yeah, and then you're like Jan Gomes. It's like, why are these? Why are there two catchers in this lineup? Yeah. Why is Luis Torrance here? What are we doing? I, I mean, you mentioned Matt Mervis, who I want to talk about for one second before we get to the Dodgers hot bats, which is Matt Mervis had another home run in Iowa. He has already proven that he has mastered AAA. I don't know what he's supposed to do to get the call up to the Cubs. I'm like all Matt Mervis does is hit home runs in Iowa. And I, I, I'm i like, are you trying to win? Would you like some home runs at the major league level? There's a guy who can play first base right there hitting home they runs. They don't care. If if they do well this year, it will be ahead of any schedule that they're considering as far as those guys go. And so that once again, they have their method that they're going to stick to. And it's frustrating because they've got fans buying it hook, line, and sinker. Like, well, he needed to go down there and work on the strikeouts. And I'm like, oh, so we watch Miles Mesh Brody strikeout instead. Okay, great. You know yeah, what I mean? I've never needed to see Miles Mastroboni making weak contact and striking out and not playing right field well, by the way. Like, this is the part that's aggravating to me. It's like the dude is not a right fielder, and it shows. He's there are so many on. balls like, that should have been caught in the games that I was at. My record, by the way, is 4-1 and one at Wrigley Field this year, so I'm feeling pretty good about that. Yeah, there are so many stop. balls that should have been caught in right field that either Trey Mancini or Miles Mastroboni or Patrick Wisdom or some combination of them misplayed because I, I like at least Trey Mancini is a corner outfielder the other two guys I'm like Patrick Wisdom is a third baseman I don't know what Miles Mastroboni is he should be in Iowa uh b- let's talk about some Dodgers hitters who should not be in Iowa these are the hot bats on the Dodgers there's a lot of names here because a couple of them are in platoon situations I'm just going to go down the list like I always do first up we've got Trace Thompson he's slashing 316 458, 947 with a WRC plus of 249. That's a platoon situation, so don't panic too much about those numbers. Um, James Outman is slashing 289, 438, 684 with a WRC plus of 190. In case you're wondering who he is, he's the dude who took Cody Bellinger's job, so now we know why that happened. Will Smith, uh, their catcher, is slashing 333, 417, 641 with a WRC plus of 172. God, how I miss, miss a catcher who rakes. Freddie Freeman is slashing 353, 450, 490 with a WRC plus of 158. Mookie Betts is doing Mookie things. He's slashing 271, 417, 500 with a WRC plus of 149. We are not done yet, people. We're only halfway through. Jason Hayward in 21 plate appearances so far is slashing 222, 286, 722 with a WRC plus of 146. The man already has three home runs. Just kill me now. Max Muncy is slashing 214, 353, 571 with a WRC plus of 143. Miguel Vargas is slashing 200, 475, 320 with a WRC plus of 138. And JD Martinez is slashing 280, 321, 560 with a WRC plus of 125. Danny, I want to get your take on the fact that AI just listed the entire Dodgers roster as being hot and also the Jason Hayward situation. Yeah, um, they have they're really high up on almost every offensive category. They've got the second most homers. They've got the most walks. They do strike out a lot. Um, so they're selling out. They've got the second best OPS in the league. And uh, that's like your good old fashioned slugging at baseball team. And they're, they've scored more runs than the Cubs. Um, they're pretty good. I mean, they're not going to win as many games as they did last year, but they're still going to win a lot of games because they've got a pretty fearsome offense. And like, They've shown that they can coach it and they've shown that they can develop players. They've shown that they can take Jason Hayward and just, even if they're going to let him hit for low average and just, you know, get, get behind the ball and get that power stroke. He, he hit, he's hitting balls harder than we've seen for years. Cause they try to turn him into some weird, like slap hitter on the Cubs, you know? And, um, didn't he, he hit like, did he ever hit 30? I don't think so. But it was the Braves. Oh, I'm looking at it right now. 27 was his top. But still, for the Cubs, he was able to hit a lot of home runs in 2019. And if you remember, 2019 was the year of the juice ball. So I don't know if you even count that. But other than that, he was like pretty much single digits the entire time with the Cubs. And and he was not. He was double digits 
with Atlanta and St. Louis. So whatever we did to them, it ruined it. And so if the Dodgers are just getting back, getting him back into what he was before, I mean, that, that's I mean, annoying. <laughs> all signs point to the Cubs hitting coach situation constantly changing, absolutely destroying Jason Hayward. And admittedly, he hasn't had that many plate appearances yet. It could He's in a platoon situation right now, so he's basically only taking the field when he's got a favorable hitting matchup. Like, there's a whole bunch of reasons these numbers look better than what we saw with the Cubs. And also, it is going to be so annoying when it's June and Jason Hayward has, like, 15 home runs and has been a plus producer for the Dodgers while putting up glove, gold glove defense in the outfield – and Cody Bellinger still has a WRC plus in the eighties. <laughs> yeah. I mean, hopefully Belly's getting his stroke too, because that's, um, you know, I would like to, I would like to think that even on this one year deal that they would be, be able to get something out of him. And then if it is going to be a situation like Stroh's real good, so he's going to opt out. So just trade him and get more, you know, I don't know if they're trying to get younger or like get the right tool. Like, with the, the trade they did with the Yankees for Wisniewski, it's kind of like, okay, that could work out really good because you get a starter and you, you gave up a reliever. So that seems like just as far as innings go, um, I, I still believe in Wisniewski. Two bad starts is not going to make me throw him in the garbage can. But, you know, if if they're able to still do these like fix and flip situations, then I'm all fine. So I'm still rooting for the belly thing, even, you know, one of, but to watch it happen at the expense of my, my brain, hurts when I think about Jason Hayward getting paid all this money. Why didn't you just, why didn't you do that with him in the cups? Why didn't you find favorable matchups for him on the cups? You know, like, cause I'm laughing because it, it hurts. They, exactly. That's what I'm saying. My brain hurts. Like they, they did it for Albert Almora, you know, remember like, Oh, he should, everybody's yelling. He should start every day. So they let him start every day. And he absolutely was terrible. Like, no, he should only start against lefties and then he will do well. And it, it was a platoon situation. They could have done that with Hayward. You know, they, hell, they could have a Mora and Hayward still and be platooning them. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the the Mora Hayward platoon that's happening in some alternate reality. And, and the Cubs have won like four World Series with the Hayward Almora platoon. They both just got extended for totally reasonable deals. Um, Guys who are cold on the Cubs bats who also are getting a ton of playing time for hashtag reasons. Uh, you got Jan Gomes, who is slashing 154, 148, 269 with a WRC plus of one. That means he is 99% worse than league average at driving in runs. Miles Mastroboni, 143. What, this, wait, these numbers. Hold on a second. I feel like I did not update these numbers. No, I did. One. Did no, I? they're just they've just been terrible for they've just still been bad. Time. Okay, 143, 143, uh, negative 29, and Trey Mancini, 251, 263, 18. This is an improvement, y'all. His WRC plus is all the way up to 53. So hopefully, with any luck, um, Trey Mancini will will light the world on fire. The Dodgers do have some dudes who have been getting regular playing time who are not lighting the world on fire. Miguel Rojas is slashing 182, 250, 227 with a WRC plus of 34. David Peralta is slashing 179, 207, 214 with a WRC plus of 13. Chris Taylor is slashing 091, 162, 273, also with a WRC plus of 13. Keep in mind, all of these dudes appear to be platooning with each other. So I, I bet we only see one of them in a lineup at once because unlike the Cubs, the Dodgers only play one bad batter a night. The Cubs play all of them together to make up the back end of the lineup just to drive me crazy. And Danny, I want to circle back to something you were talking about in terms of Jason Hayward, uh, the juice ball in 2019, because one of the things that I am following at the moment that, I, that makes me a little bit nervous, you talked about the lack of power on the Chicago Cubs. A big topic in fantasy circles right now is how many home runs there are and the fact that teams are mashing and the ball is probably juiced again or some combination of the new pitching rules plus the ball plus the weather is creating home run favorable circumstances that are not standard for April. And it makes me very nervous that the entire league has a home run surge going on at the moment. And the Cubs are not part of it. Yeah. There's a few teams that aren't really part of it, to be honest, but uh, you know, the Cubs are definitely not a part of it. They've hit the fifth fewest home runs, only 10 so far this year tied with the twins, um, the tigers, 
the Guardians, and then the Nationals, who are just god-awful, only have five so far. But, yeah, up at the top of the league, oh, my God, the Tampa Bay Rays have triple, more than triple the home runs, 31 so far. Dodgers with 24, Giants with 21. Uh, Baltimore has 18. Yankees, you know, I mean, yeah, there's quite a few. The ball's flying out because it's only, what, two weeks into the season. We're only talking about – we're averaging – for half the league, we're averaging more than a home run a game. That race team is unbelievable right now. And I'm sure they will cool off at some point in time, but they are showing no signs of it. Wander Franco went like kind of went under the radar for some people. He's a top prospect. He was dealing with some injury issues and he never kind of showed the power that people thought he would have in the minors. And so people slept on Wander Franco and he is here this year just announcing himself as like, I am going to be a perennial MVP candidate. And I love it. Randy Rosarena has taken that like statue performance that he had in the WBC and he's bringing it to major league baseball yesterday. He hit a home run and at the end of the home run trot, just like does like the statue stand at home plate, which might be my favorite thing to happen since Wilson Contreras flipped his bat to the moon in the pandemic season. Yeah. Razor just off. I mean, there's always one team that just goes on a tear to start the year. They're 12 and, you know, and 0. <laughs> yeah. Look at their run differential. Their run differential is the stuff of like, hasn't happened since the 1880s. Yeah, they have scored 93 runs, which is by far the most of anybody. The next team down has is the Dodgers, unfortunately, and they've scored 79. It's unbelievable. What the Rays are doing is incredible. So out of out of 13 games that both of those teams have played, there's already a 14 run differential between the top two teams. I don't know if that's a big, uh, that seems big. (laughs) Detroit Tigers only scored 33 runs. Well, the Detroit, the Detroit Tigers are are not a very good baseball team, Danny. I I watched them play the Red Sox the other day who are also not a very good baseball team, by the way. And it was, it was kind of disheartening, honestly, to watch some of that baseball. Um, Speaking of baseball that we are going to be watching late at night on the West Coast as the Cubs go West, go West, young Cubs, and get some victories or at least try to get some victories. Danny, where can people find you this weekend, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday while you are watching the Cubs late at night? Well, Friday night uh, on the uh, Sunranto Discord channel, we're going to be hosting a little game watch, Uh, figure a little late night Friday action. If you're around, stop on by. Uh, it's the Sun Ranto Discord. I don't even know how to look that up, but I always post the links to it on our Facebook and Twitter uh, when we're doing something like that. So that's where I'll be Friday night. And um, at follow at, um, at Sun Ranto, and you figure out everything I do. Everything. Awesome. <laughs> Those Discord chats are a lot of fun. I don't think I will be in this one because I have an event that I am running in New York. I might pop in for the late innings if I get back to my hotel on time. We'll see. Um, you can find me outside of the Discord at, at BCB underscore Sarah. You can find my writing and work at bleedcubbyblue.com. You can find both of us at, at Cup of Cubby Blue. You should follow and make sure you're subscribed to Bleacher Bunch for all of the Sun Rancho content, all of the Cup of Cubby Blue content, all of the Cubs pod content, and more. Here's hoping that the Cubs defy expectations and have a great West Coast road trip. Till next time.